this is yeah. so different. I really want to just experience it. <laughs> I really like that. It's so cool. I just want to apply for something and see what Hey, we are in another episode of the Living Out Loud discussion series. And today we are talking about a radical approach of creating more room, access and opportunity for the global majority within social impact organizations. I am joined here by my colleague, Stephanie Castellanos. She's gonna get way more into what that means. I am your host, Charmaine Nuts, your relational DEI expert. If you are new here, we are unpacking real life scenarios and issues that come up in our interactions together so that we can learn about them as a community that cares about diversity, equity, and inclusion. As always, the thoughts, views, and opinions that are shared in this episode, they are my own and not as a representative of any of the agencies that I work for or am employed by. As I said, I am joined here by Stephanie, uh, an amazing human being doing so many different things in the space uh, that I just described. I can't even put the words to it myself. I have been a huge fan ever since I met you, probably a little over a year ago, when you came and did a workshop for students in the Master of Social Work program. You just gave this an, it was such a cool introduction slash advanced 60 minute session on all the things that they should be thinking about as new professionals in this space. I truly was, I was just fangirling type. Of thing. And ever <laughs> since then, I just love how you show up. I'm so serious, I'm not even making it up. The way you show up is freaking awesome. And I am super happy to have you here. Would you mind just sharing anything you would like to share about yourself to take space and introduce yourself? Yes. Well, first, thank you for having me and also for creating this space. I think um, we don't make enough time and space to slow down and have these types of conversations. So I'm just grateful to be here. And I'm glad we met through a friend, mutual friend, who's also really passionate about this work. So Stephanie Castellanos, my pronouns are she, her, and ella. I'll be remiss to say, if I didn't start to share a little bit more about myself without first saying that I'm a daughter I'm a daughter of a single mom from Mexico. I'm a sister. I have three brothers, one that's seven years younger, and then I have twin brothers. So I grew up with two older brothers. So I'm the middle child and also the only woman or least girl in three siblings, part of my siblings. I am a product of my community. I grew up in Inglewood, California, which is a community right outside of the LAX airport. As soon as you drive out, that's where I grew up. I grew up on near, you know, the Florence and between Florence and Slauson. And I think a lot of my experience, the way that I see the world, the relationships I've built throughout my life are really centered around what it was like to grow up as a kid in Inglewood, California. So definitely feel like a lot of the work that I'm doing now is centered around my own personal experiences that I just shared as a daughter of immigrants, as a daughter of a single mom who I saw wake up 5 a.m. and hustle and have multiple jobs and really value education and the power of education. I'm also um, somebody who loves plants. <laughs> You'll see that in the background. Um, I, um, yeah, and I think that also stems from, you know, uh, ancestral lineage of earth workers. So my grandpa, who migrated from Zacatecas to Mexicali, which is a border town 
worked as a bracero. And he was, so a bracero is, or was, they're farm workers who came and, and cultivated the land and were given momentarily visas or access to this country to work here for about three months at a time. And then they would have to go back and then come back. So he, he moved to a border town and was able to, in his eyes, um, live in some ways the, that dream of, of bringing his family to the United States. Um, and also, I'll get into that a little bit later, but as I got older and started to unpack what the actual Bracero program was and the systemic oppression of that particular program and the impact that it's had in my own family, I think that's really been true to who I am. I, you know, grew up as a Latina and also recognized that as I went to UCLA, I was the first person to go to college. I was navigating an entirely new world. And for me, a lot of the work that I do now in anti-oppression work, in really creating more room and access and opportunities for people who grew up like us, who have similar experiences, is rooted in, in not knowing what I didn't know and figuring it out on my own and having a support in a community of other badass women of color who had similar experiences growing up in the hood and going to an institution like UCLA that wasn't created for people like us necessarily. And so a lot of my own personal experiences as a first-gen student has really shaped what I do today. And that is, you know, had a nine to five, like a lot of, I would say it's definitely more than nine to five, but <laughs> I decided at some point, I decided two years ago that I can build my dream company and I just had the audacity to believe in my dream and I quit my job. And I know that takes a lot of, one, a lot of, a lot of audacity to do, but also a lot of privilege behind being able to quit my job, save up money to build my own company, which is now what I've been doing. We launched it took about eight months to build it and ideate and strategize and finally launched it in July of 2022. So we are a year old and the, my company's name is Uproot Talent. And we are, we do three things. First is we are thinking about how do we find, hire, and how do we keep people of the global majority in positions of power and leadership positions within social impact. We are also thinking about, well, okay, so you hired somebody, a woman of color, you hired a black woman in the C-suite. Now what? How do we create the conditions to keep them? And so a lot of the work that I do is training. So we do a lot of anti-oppression training. We do a lot of work around how do we decolonize the way that we think about career development. And so one of the workshops that you participated in and were in was around resume design. And really thinking and reframing the way we think about resumes, which alone is a very racist document, if you think about it, because there's just very little room for us to highlight who we really are. And so a lot of the work and the way that I design, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a moment, the way that I design the hiring experience is really rooted in how do we get to know people outside of their titles and their roles and a lot of what superficial things, institutional capital that that this world values, or at least the United States values very highly. And I talk a lot about cultural capital. I talk a lot about centering lived experience and expertise. And then within the last six months, we launched a job board and a network for people of the global majority specifically. So to our commitment to creating access and opportunities, really creating the space for us to find jobs, to message recruiters, 
to be able to learn about positions that often you wouldn't know if you're not digging through LinkedIn or, you know, have a, a pop in LinkedIn where somebody messages you and finds you. And so really doing the work to close that opportunity. So that was a long winded of who I am, but I couldn't start who I am without talking about my community and, and my family who informs a lot of the way I think and what I do now. Yes. Oh my gosh. You're just such a dynamic person. And I really appreciate you taking the time to introduce yourself differently than people are used to introducing themselves. Uh, we had talked about that up front and just like mm-hmm. experiencing, just experiencing how you show up as you, like really was giving me a completely different, like physical response to what you were sharing. And then just started imagining what would it be like if other people started to speak about themselves in this way outside of the traditional things that we think we should be sharing as professionals. So that was really, really cool. I am kind of curious though, like when you took the eight months to ideate and develop mm-hmm. Uproot Talent, I'm just curious, like what was the process? Just what was that like? Did What informed what you created? Was it any, I'm sure it's personal mm-hmm. experience, but what was part of all of that? Yeah, I think uh, or I know a lot of my design process was unpacking a lot of who I am and the dreams for myself. And so I think it was a very personal experience for me. I would I'm someone that even until today, I always carve out time for what I call deep work and really being able to for periods of time, be able to sit with an idea or be able to sit with a lot of information or I'm also a visual learner. I'm also neurodivergent. So I think that's also part of how I learn and how I process and how I communicate. Um, but I've been the head of talent for several organizations, um, including like national nonprofit organizations that focus on hiring for the foster care system and placing senior executives into the foster care systems to innovate and transform and bring in new ideas and systems for really being able to find some solutions to what we're seeing to our nation's most troubling problems that we see in the crisis that we see around social justice. I've worked for organizations Mm -hmm. in school districts where I was the head of HR or the head of recruitment and talent. And I saw a lot of the inequities that happen in hiring. I saw in auditing compensation structures and understanding how many, how women of color, how indigenous Latinas, Black women are often paid much less than their white counterparts. They fought at the table to close some of those gaps and realize that even people like us are perpetuating a lot of these racist, anti-Black practices within the workplace. But it wasn't just about, for me and the people who I hope to hire, it's not just about hiring a Latina or Mm-hmm. you know, man or somebody who's indigenous, but it's really about, because, you know, we can also perpetuate white supremacy very much. And it's about hiring somebody who's going to disrupt and is going to do the work to bring more equity to the workplace, bring more justice to the workplace. And so I really sat with, okay, what would it take for me to do that? How have I done that in the past? What has worked? What has not worked? I went out and talked to people who are directors of talent, chief HR directors, right, like really chief diversity officers and talk to them about what are you seeing? What are some challenges? What would 
it looked like to bring forth a hiring process honors us. It feels like it is candidate-centered. That feels like we got candidates' backs. And that feels also that, like we are democratizing the process and thinking about power and disrupting how power and gatekeeping takes place when we care, especially as a firm, right? That a lot of the role of a firm is gatekeeping, right? We are the first people to talk to candidates. We are the first people to review application. And we have a lot of power in deciding mm-hmm. who moves to the next round, who moves, who, who gets access to that one interview with the, the CEO, whomever it is. And so really thinking like, how do I disrupt that? How do I disrupt that role mm-hmm. as, as, a, as a firm? So I sat with a lot of them and talked to a lot of other people who've been doing it and came up with a process that I feel has done that over and over. We've had about 15 searches in one year. So we, we went in pretty hard. <laughs> the, yeah. outcome, the outcome of that has been our, the vision coming to fruition. So I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But those eight months were definitely a lot of designing. You know, I was also, you know, I have side, I've been side hustling workshops, like facilitating workshops, designing, facilitating what I call woke shops has been my side hustle for nine years. So I, you know, had to keep afloat financially for sure. So I was still doing the woke shops, but I was also redesigning them and adapting them. So I have like new curriculum to come out with. And I was talking to people that my previous partners, I've done over a thousand workshops in nine years and I talked I went back to people and I said what would you like to see what would you and so really taking a human-centered design approach to designing my firm was really important again for the same reasons that I design a human-centered design selection process where I'm not the sole decision maker it's not just my perspective it's not just the lens I have it's important to bring in all the lens the candidate experience the hiring manager experience the CEO experience thinking about participants and people who are in my workshops. What do they think they need or candidates in the past? So yeah, it was definitely, it took time. And the way that I launched actually was by accident, I will say. I was going to take longer. Oh, really? I was going to take longer to launch. And like many of us, I'm sure you've experienced it where you're like, things have to be perfect in order to launch. Like I have to have this. I have to do, this has to be, I have to have my marketing okay. strategy. And for me, I had a partner who was a really large nonprofit or or an organization that was very reputable and known in Los Angeles. And the CEO came, found out that I was behind the scenes working on my firm and said, hey, we need this new chief position in our organization. Would you lead it? Mm. And at that Mm. point, I didn't have... I didn't have my applicant tracking system. I didn't have my LinkedIn recruiter account. I didn't have all the things that need to be in place in order for a search to launch. But I couldn't, I couldn't say no to that opportunity. I felt like that was a perfect opportunity of the universe telling me, like, you're ready. You're yeah. more than ready. You, you are actually, all you need to do is just get the tools in place for you to launch, but you're ready. And so mm. I did. Within four days, I did all the things that I needed to do. And we launched within two weeks. So I launched my company right after I had a house fire and I was like living out of an Airbnb. Um, like a real house fire, not like a... A real, we just had a house fire. Yeah, we had a house fire and I was living in an Airbnb and going through a lot. But I was like, if there's no better time for me than to do it when 
you kind of feel anxious about something or nervous. I feel like that's a sign for me, at least for me, that you're in, headed in the right direction. So I did it. And then here we are a year later. Oh my gosh. What is, well, that's a story for real. <laughs> wow. Very cool. Yeah, one of the things you said that I really appreciate, and actually it's two things, is lifting up that hiring, you know, different diverse people is not just the thing to do. Don't just mm-hmm. hire people that look different and just move on about your mm-hmm. day. Uh, your commitment to working with organizations to change culture, to keep the people that you're helping get hired are is such an important part of it. The other thing, though, that I really love about what you said is your own check about what are the things that you uproot talent, like what are you doing that might contribute to the very thing that you're trying to not or have other organizations stop doing? Because um, I feel like uh, it is very normal mm-hmm. for us to engage in the types of practices that we do not want to engage in because it's so normal. So I just, I really appreciate that. It's a really nice yeah. responsibility, accountability part that, that not everybody will take the time to do because they lean into their intention to do well. You know, good intentions don't always mean yeah. you're going to always get yeah. it the way you want to get it. So just, just thank you for that. I, I appreciated that. Yeah. Uh, you had talked a little earlier. You had shared about some of your services. I wasn't sure if you wanted to go into any further depth to describe them. You can yeah. if you would like or you let me know if there's anything that you missed yeah i mean i'm happy to maybe we can dive a little bit into the hiring process of what that looks like or mm-hmm. some of the strategies that were well, i would say are unique or different than what i've seen in the past and i've worked at different executive search firms profits school districts and so i think that has given me a balcony view of things that have worked and i think a lot of our process has been formed from my different experiences, like, okay, this worked. I really love that about this process. This worked here. I'm really making it my own. Our hiring process is one of the things that I think that make it important is that in similar ways that I design my company is how I treat a role design process or the design process of the search. I am not talking to one person and saying, okay, here's the position, right? Because that's mm-hmm. only one perspective and one lens. And I think you, you, don't do justice to the role and really getting the big picture of what am I missing? What are some blind spots? Like this person might think I need this, but these other three or four people are working with this person and they feel they need this. And so I have a deep learning and listening phase and I interview people individually and I have a set of questions that really think about what does this person need in order to be successful? Like what would they need to achieve? I ask them about the unspoken rules of working there. And some people have never been asked that question. There's a lot of ways you can frame that, but essentially what I want to get to is there are often norms culturally. There are ways of earning trust and ways of building relationships with an organization that is very unique to that organization. And many people don't know until Mm -hmm. things happen. Harm has been caused. Oh, I didn't do this. Or Now it's a little bit too late, like now, right? So really getting ahead of understanding what are those cultural norms, but what are the unspoken rules, right, of that workplace um, is a really important part of the interview and deep learning phase um, because we want to make sure that we're able to make a match, not just hire. Um, And a match means that the candidate 
is also choosing and interviewing the organization. One of our values is transparency. And that's part of me just being raised by my mom being not sugarcoating and being super direct, which as a kid, it was like a lot for me to deal with. But now I see it as what a gift to be raised by my mom in a family who gave it to me straight up. You can read my, you can read it in my face. You can read it in my body language. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you exactly, even if I'm seven years old, I'm going to talk to you like an adult and I'm going to tell you exactly <laughs> what it is. Um, and so I think that lens and approach has resonated with me in this type of work when you're doing diversity, equity, inclusion work, um, especially for candidates. There, there's times so we'll design the role and I, another part of, so we'll launch the, the role. And if you look at even our opportunity descriptions, they're different. We don't do a laundry list of mi minimum qualifications and years of experience and all of these racist ways of measuring somebody's capacity or skill set. We look at evidence. We look at skill sets. And a lot of people have transferable skills and aren't given the opportunity because, oh, you haven't held that title before. And we know why women of color, Black women, Indigenous women don't hold certain titles in organizations. You know, you're underpaid, you're overlooked, you get less promotions, you're deemed, you're deemed more and get lower performance evaluations every year. So it's systemic and really recognizing that these are systemic, that it's, there's systemic oppression and systems in place to keep women from the suite, to keep black women from the C-suite. So we're not looking at, oh, this person has had this title, therefore I'm making tons of assumptions of what they can do and what they can't do. Mm. We're really looking at the evidence and creating a scorecard. We call it the scorecard. That's from the book, The Who, that we adapted from. And we develop, it's a rubric that is answering questions like, what's the mission of this role? What will this person need in order to be successful? And not just job duties. We're not looking, this is not a bullet point of job duties. This is in two years, I can give you this scorecard and here's what you'll need to achieve in order to be successful in the role. And we define that. What are the core competencies that how this person will need to navigate this role? And we design the scorecard and our opportunity description is quite literally the scorecard. So we give the candidate that exact thing of what you will need to achieve. We're not doing the list of duties. And so now we're having a much more evidence-based process where we're looking at we're not doing behavioral questions. We're like, tell me how you would act if this happened. Mm -hmm. Situational or behavioral questions. Um, although sometimes those kinds of questions lend to understanding quote unquote soft skills. We call them power skills at Uproot. Um, but we do a lot of evidence-based questions that look, or competency questions that look at, tell me about a time when you did X, right? And I think that is an important aspect of our process. The other thing that I'll note in a couple of things that and there's a lot of different things that we do different, but what I'll say is uh, uniquely different is also we um, level the playing field from the get-go, from the start. So a lot of people apply to a job. We've had 500 applications for one position. We just had a VP role that we filled that had 486 for one role, wow. right? Wow. Which is a lot. That's a lot. That is and oftentimes only five, maybe 10 people have a phone screen, right? So we don't do phone screens because again, disrupting the gatekeeping role we play. Instead, everybody gets an interview. We have a one-way video interview that you record yourself at home. We don't have a cover letter. Instead, we have more intentional targeted short written responses. And we do that for two reasons. One, to give everybody the opportunity to interview. 
And we get to the other reason is, again, I, I'm neurodivergent. So I communicate, articulate my expertise better speak like orally. Mm-hmm. And some mm-hmm. people are better at it right in writing. Some people in both, which is great. But we wanted to yeah. give up people opportunity to shine in whatever way feels best to them. And so we match both the video interview and the written, which is weighed equally as we're looking at the candidates. But also, I'm not the decision maker. I'm not the one that's looking right. at the applications and saying, this person is going to move to the final round. Instead, we have a search committee that's comprised of people from the organization, different tenures. So people who have been there shorter or people who have been there longer. We look at racial and gender diversity as indicators as well to get a diverse committee of people and their perspectives and lens. I always say, like, I don't believe in objectivity. Everybody brings a bias. And it's like, it's okay. We all have bias. That's okay. Um, It's what we do (laughs) with that bias. It's what we do and how we disrupt that bias. So the committee, I shepherd the committee through the entire process of selecting the candidates, moving them into the final round, which is a final interview day. Um, And... I think the other thing that I'll say to that is the final interview day is we will kick off without introducing ourselves with titles in the same way that I did. Instead, everybody brings a photo of something that grounds them, somebody, something that grounds them. Instead of, hey, my name is and this is my title, we go around the space and we never talk titles. We just talk about our why and why am I here and why am I grounded? I just did. We've had four interview days in the last two weeks, and it brings a level of vulnerability that I don't think you would get otherwise. And I think vulnerability Mm -hmm. is the recipe for connection. And so you can see, I mean, people have, I myself have been emotional when sharing my photo. You see that we, we are so much more than what we walk in the door with every day in our job. That we bring my grandma, my grandmother, my mother, I bring my family, I bring my community, and we're able to get to know each other in a much more authentic way. And so we go through our interview day, half day for each candidate, and then we do a co-referencing stage, for example. That's another example of something that is, again, we're thinking this is a two-way street. They're interviewing the organization and vice versa. And so they check, we check three of their references and vice versa. We tell the candidate, who else do you want to talk to? I love Liber- that. Let's check. So I took you through a pretty long version of it, but I wanted to highlight some of the strategies and practices that I think lend to a candidate-centered experience, that we're thinking about the candidate. I'm jumping on 15-minute calls with anybody who applies. You, you have my Calendly. It's accessible. It's not like hidden to only certain people can get access to it. I prep mm-hmm. every candidate. You have, I before every interview, I coach you, support you, make sure that you have everything you need for the interview. And it's that level of intention and care and love that I think makes a difference in why we've been able to, 100% of the people we've hired have identified as people of the global majority. More than two-thirds are first generation. More than half are Black women. And so that's not a coincidence, right? That is really doing the extra work, extra mile that you need in order to support people like us to the final round and find us, right? Not just find, not just recruit mm-hmm. us, but then shepherd us and nurture that relationship until you get that offer. Yeah. Yes. Gosh, you're saying everything you're saying, I'm just imagining like, this just needs to be 
like a series of learning for people to have. But then I'm also acknowledging like everything you're doing is so intentional and works really well together. I'm imagining people listening and thinking, oh, that's a really good idea. And like, oh, I want to, you know, just looking at the pieces of what you're saying. But it it's very clear to me that these aren't just pieces of things to take and go use and implement. They all are a part of a very intentional process that works well together, not taking in pieces to try to you know make change outside of. And I love the stewarding aspect of it. And it, it definitely feels that you are involved with everyone else in the process, opposed to you being in charge of something that you're not really in charge of, per se. But you just saying so many things. <laughs> you would also share, I really have to just keep my mind on track because it goes everywhere. But you, your process, your approach is amazing. And you had even said, I don't remember your exact words, but you were kind of like, this is going into detail or you're giving examples. And I think the examples help people understand something that I think people think they understand. So if someone says these are like anti-oppressive practices, I believe most people who are doing this work would have some idea of what that is. But I don't think that there are really good examples of what that means. So I actually appreciate you taking the time to give some very specific examples and drill it down because you can hear the intentionality even more you can hear the expertise in having to be led in something like that to me what you're describing is not something that organizations just have uniquely built inside and can do themselves you're really filling an area that i value so much and think oh if this is a different time or who knows in the future i could absolutely see myself being in a process like that opposed to the ones that currently exist that feel a lot like all of the things that you just described. This is so different. I really want to just experience it. (laughs) I'm really like, that's so cool. I just want to apply for something and see what happens. (laughs) So in our convo, you actually talked about, we were talking about the experiences that your, your clients, but client isn't necessarily just the candidate. It's, it's a different way of looking at even client. And you're talking about a co-learning process. And I was wondering if you could share what that means, because you were talking about everyone's involved in a really cool way and everyone's learning from each other. Yeah. Could you just describe that? Yeah, I think so. I think of co-learning and there's two clients I'm talking about. One is the candidate and one is the partner, the organization or the school district or foundation that we're working with, with the organization. Um, there is a lot of unlearning that happens. So we have been indoctrinated. We have been taught to hear a a very specific certain way. And they've been doing it for a long time. And so I am patient that change doesn't happen overnight and it's not going to happen with one process. But there is a lot that I am pushed on, for example. Your job descriptions, wait, we need years of experience on there. Like, tell me why we need years of experience, right? So For me, the co-learning is getting curious. Like it really is about tell me why you think that and let's talk about it. And ultimately what we come to the conclusion of is why we don't include years of experience, why we don't include degree requirements. Of course, there's certain jobs that do need degrees. Like you're going to be a doctor. Sure. I definitely want somebody to be trained, uh, but those are the types of roles that we're leading, right? I think for us, 
um, it is important to share like some of the ways that your list, your laundry list of qualifications, for example, are creating barriers and are, you know, we know that women of color won't apply to a job unless they meet 100 percent of the quote unquote qualifications in a role. Um, and so the more you have, the more barriers you're creating for the right candidate to find you and to apply. It requires a, a level of discussion and intention and time with the client to be able to share why we don't do it. And there's a learning that, that takes place. And I'm, I'm pushed a lot on it. Like, it is not easy. It does, they're just like, oh, okay, well, let's not, not do it. Right. They're like, well, I'm, <laughs> the CEO's like, well, this is how we've been doing it. And I'm like, that's great. That's not how we're going to do it here. So if you're going to work with us, this is the process, right? So I said no right. to clients. And I said, this isn't a match for us. And I always say like, not all good money is good money. Uh, yeah, and I mean yeah. that, like, I don't care. Yes, I'm a firm. We're obviously a, a private firm. And so I need money to survive. So financially, sub financial stability is important for me. Um, but I'm not going to go against my own values for anybody or anything. Yeah. And so another example is we train the committee and on anti-oppression practices, interrupting bias as a committee. And a lot of them were like, what do you mean? We uh, know outside food, right? What we would call it, like outside food, or uh, meaning a lot of people. Or the other day, I had a situation where a client was trying to conduct soft references, which is going beyond the reference check and low key going behind the candidates' back to find people who know them and talk to them mm. about their experience. Now, so I see your face, body language, right? And so I have <laughs> so to. But this, these are, this is things that people, hey, I know somebody who works here. Let me go talk to them and see what he says about him, right? And this okay. is the type of practices that are very common, you know, like that they learn this somewhere. They, they learn this somewhere. It's a learned behavior. It's a learned trait. And I have to disrupt that bias and say, one, mm. we know that especially in our candidates, people of low majority, we, we, this person identifies as Black. And I said... We know that you talking to people who they haven't talked to that means you're this is you're breaking confidentiality. And so you can get this person fired. There could be backlash or retaliation with that knowing that they're looking for another job somewhere. We know what happens. Like we we get it. We know that people get pushed out of organizations all the time. And finding a job and looking for a job, if it's not confidential, could mean your loss of income can mean your loss of a job and security. And I don't play with that. The other thing we know is that Black people for, and especially Black men, um, are predominantly, one, they, they, they experience racism, period, every day. And you don't know who you're talking to. This person could have been the person that harmed them. This person could have bias. This person could, I heard or she said, he said. Uh, you have absolutely no idea. It's not a controlled environment. And you can't make that judgment based on somebody who maybe never actually directly worked with them. Or you don't even know the experience of what happened because Black people are constantly calling out racism in the workplace and being deemed as too much, disruptive, pushed out of organizations. And so do you, for you to go talk to somebody means that you don't understand those dynamics and you don't know what they might be saying and what it carries a lot. 
behind it. There's just, it's not just you talking to somebody. So I had to break that down <laughs> to this person. And still, I think there's a lot of work to do for this person to understand why I pushed back and I said, absolutely not, not in my process. I will not work with you ever again if you do this, right? Because again, it's about candidate centered. I'm going to protect this candidate. Like I'm, this is not okay. Anybody who yeah. trusts to go through my process is going to trust that I'm going to, I'm going to say the thing when things like this happen and I'm not going to let it fly. So that's the co-learning piece, right? And then at the same time, I'm learning, right? I'm yeah. learning a lot about organizations. I'm learning about yeah. what's working, what doesn't work. I ask for feedback, not just from the candidate after they finish an experience, but from the client. And they don't shy away from giving me real feedback yeah. because I give them real feedback, right? So right. it's like, <laughs> so like they get it. They're like, okay, well, hey, she's been giving me real, I'm going to give it to her straight. And I appreciate that. Like, that's the, yeah. the co so my process has changed in the last year and it's been because of feedback. Um, so that's a little bit more about the co-learning. Okay, so there is a part in there I just am really curious about. Mm -hmm. And it's, I feel like I understand what it's like to do the work and work with people who want to do the work, but also come up against a bunch of things to me that I find activating. Like some stuff is like, why would you? Or it's just, mm -hmm. depending on the day, I say all kinds of things in my mind. Yeah. But I, it's like, I'm going to describe it for myself. I'm not name it for you. I find yeah. it challenging at times. It's challenging. It's necessary. It's challenging. I like it and I hate it depending on the day. But it, I'm thinking about the internal work that I had to do to even be able to do this with other people. And I'm imagining you in all of these different scenarios, just imagining it. I don't even know what it is for you. Mm -hmm. I'm just imagining it takes, you got to have a lot in you, a lot of skill, a lot of awareness, a lot of yeah. depth to be able to do what you're doing. And I want to know anything you feel comfortable sharing. I, what is the question? What is your internal experience like in the teaching of others, in the participating in the co-learning by teaching in some challenging moments? Uh, ooh, I would not have been able to be this bold earlier in my career. I'll say that <laughs> it definitely took a lot of very difficult conversations, falling on my face with that and being like, I could have dealt with that differently. <laughs> Or I would get very emotional early in my career and emotional physically. I would cry sometimes. I sometimes would shake. I was so angry at certain things when I had to bring it up. And it took a lot of like my own personal unlearning and work, but also recognizing that or understanding the language of white supremacy, really thinking about Timo Kuhn's 15 characteristics of white supremacy and being a student of them in the workplace, thinking about um that one of the one of those characteristics is worship of the written word for example. and mm -hmm. i know that in order to move organizations towards action they don't care about your feelings quite simply that's how that, that they just your feelings are that's great you have them we all have them but how is any facts that's not feelings right and I found the re you saw me, I probably said research shows like 10 times in the last 45 minutes or 40 minutes. And that is a learned trait of how I deal at this because these are executive searches, 
Right. So I'm yeah. I'm having interviews where the board is in the interview as a committee. The CEO has a big stake in this hire. And so the quote unquote higher up I've gone in terms of managing relationships, I have weekly meetings with CEOs. The more I've understood that my feelings and my emotions are not going to get people to understand the why yeah. and understand the bias or understand how something might have been racist. They have an immediate reaction of defensiveness. And so in this work, what you're, what I'm hoping and what we should be doing, I think, in my opinion, is you want to get people to feel comfortable and vulnerable in a space. And the way you do that is, one, you build relationships. So that's my first and foremost. Like, you saw my introduction. I do that. I, I do that with people. And people are like, oh, I'm not supposed to give this regular introduction. So I'm going to, like, they talk more genuinely about who they are. And they realize yeah. that, oh, this is not that type of relationship I'm going to have. And I've had a CEO say, like, I've never had an introduction like that. That's I'm just kind of taken back by it. But I think that's really at the heart of it is my own personal unlearning and understanding of what moves organizations and what doesn't. And the other aspect of it is that I've done a lot of unlearning myself. Like Stephanie in college was blonde, bleaching my hair infatuated with like my weight and how I looked really trying to perpetuate a lot of Eurocentric ideas of beauty not understanding my whiteness in the same way that I do now and the privilege of my whiteness uh, in a black and brown community I did not understand yes I have been in some ways oppressed in terms of you know being a kid of immigrants growing up in poverty growing up with no, not a dad or a present dad, growing up in a household with domestic violence and abuse. All of these things, yes, they did happen. And at the same time, there have been doors that have opened up for me that I hadn't even known have opened up for me because of the way that I looked. Right. And mm -hmm. I had to do a lot of unpacking, a lot of understanding of my own identity or my intersectional identities as a straight, cis, het, right? Like, thinking of all the different intersections of my identity as a woman, as a femme presenting woman, right? Like all of these things are important. And little Stephanie didn't know that at the time. So I give myself yeah. grace, but I also give others grace that I might be here and you might not be at that place yet. And that's okay. Right. So my mm -hmm. job is not to like, you're not here. It's it, I don't come at people like that. And I think because I am white, because I am white, people listen to me differently. Like I am the person, like me delivering the information as a white person is different. I think in doing DEI work or I call anti-oppression work, and in, in my case, how I, I deem it, is important because I should be doing, I think that people like me who are white, who are navigating this world as a white person, people say white passing, just white period, full stop should be taking on this labor. Like we, it should not just be my siblings who, who are much darker than I am in terms of skin, brown, my mom who has uh, also, you know, if you look at her, she's definitely looks like she is Mexican. She has, she came from a little town in Mexico in rural Mexico, her family did. And I look very different. And so I know that and I understand that, but it took a lot of time 
and reading and learning and like podcasts and all, all types of things, right? Learning from other people to be able to come to a place where I'm like, okay, obviously I'm in a place now of power. I have a lot of power in what happens in organizations and really using that privilege to be able to disrupt the uh, lack of a better word the shit out of it <laughs> i don't know how else to say it but like really like to really disrupt yeah. these places and hopefully they what my goal is that they take whatever works for them and they adapt it and i always say like i want people to fire me like i don't want people to need me anymore like i want yeah, them totally. to be able to sustain a lot of these practices and say like oh i actually i have recruiters now that are approaching this work that I don't, we don't need you anymore and hopefully that's the goal Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, you you were like speaking to a lot of my life. We have different life experiences. There's a lot of feelings and some themes that are the same that I'm really sitting here just very much understanding and agreeing with, uh, especially growing up, not necessarily knowing the amount of privilege growing up. I really was trying to be white. Like, this was just all I was trying to do. That's all I wanted was to be white. And I was doing all the things to do that. And I was also doing a lot of harm and damage to other people and to myself. It, it is a thing that I know that I am heard differently as well. I just know I am. And someone told me, you're like the white person whisperer. Is that racist? And I'm like, kind of. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. You know, and that's its own teaching moment. But the point is... I know I'm received differently. I do have a lot of other experiences that are a lot like the ones you were describing earlier. Mm-hmm. There's just that awareness piece. And I just I just had my own visceral response to it when you were sharing. And thank you for being vulnerable and sharing what your internal process was and how it is and mm-hmm. the way that impacts how you show up for the people that you're working with. It's really cool. And I really agree with the relationship piece that is like the sole focus of living unapologetically all we care about is keeping relationships building them keeping them repairing them it is truly the foundation of being able to do anything with people so right. i really agree i wonder if we can just wrap up with i think in your own way you actually probably touched on this i'm thinking about the skills and the values that it took to even like do this work that y'all are doing at Uproot Talent. And I don't know if they can be put in my sneak boxes and they don't have to be, but I'm just wondering if there's a way to capture like, what is it skill-wise or value-wise? What are you using? Yeah, I think the first word that comes to mind is bold. Like you really have to be bold. And my definition of bold is being able to say the thing that sometimes we're thinking, but then get caught up in the, what if they think this of me? What if they say this? And I think at the end of the day, boldness, you have to think like, here's my objectives and my goal. And I'm going to say the thing, regardless what the external factors might be, what the, what might happen to me if I say the thing, what people might think of me and all of those things, because at the end of the day, I'm reaching that goal for me. I've shared what that goal is for me. I think the other is you have to be intentional. I feel like intentionality is something Mm. that comes in mind and sweat the details. 
if you are somebody who is sweats the details, meaning everything that I do has a purpose. There is nothing that I don't do in my process, in my workshops, in my job board that doesn't have intention behind it. And I think one of the words that have been shared with me in terms of feedback has been that our processes or our work is very intentional. And I think that is like the biggest type of compliment you can give me. But the other things, and these are all like transferable, right, to to a lot of to a lot of different roles. I think you definitely have to be somebody who has foresight so you can read the room, right? So those are two things. So one, reading the room, get, being able to pick up on cues, on body language, being able to pick up on what's not said and make meaning of what's not said, and being able to understand and be empathetic to other people's experiences. And I don't mean I have to put myself in other people's shoes every time, but I do think you have to be, part of empathy is listening. You have to be a good listener. People love listeners. <laughs> people don't like people who talk a lot. I mean, I mean, really, I was a kid who talked a lot. I was a kid who was like straight A's, but ooh, she could just be quiet a little bit more during class. Like I was that kid. Right. So this is like the perfect job for me. But I was also the kid that my mom told me I needed to mind my own business and not adults business. So I was like listening to my aunts and my, you know, because I grew up with my raised by my aunts and my family I was always in their business. So I feel like one of the skills that even as kids, we say, oh, we think that that's a bad trait in a kid. I would challenge that and say, like, that's an excellent trait to cultivate. Right. Like that's an, a, an excellent. That's a future DEI practitioner. <laughs> For sure. But those are kids who can read the room and those are people who can read the room and understand like what's going on without, you know, you having to tell them what's going on. I think that's important. And then I would wrap up and say you have to follow up. The follow up is important. And so if you're going to say you're going to do something, do it, especially in this work. That's easy, that, especially at the executive level of searches. That's how you break trust. And what you don't want is to break trust with people. And so if you're going to say you're going to do something, you're going to get it done. And I don't mean like tasks. I mean, your word matters, right? Your word has weight and integrity. And if you're going to approach it a certain way, if you stand true to your process, stand your ground, but follow through on that and follow up are two things that come to mind. Because the moment you don't do that, then you start to break trust and then people don't trust you. And it's hard to interrupt bias. It's hard to get to people's hearts if people don't trust you. And that's one of the ways that I've learned people are trust is doing what you actually said you were going to do. So yeah, I would say those things. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> these are great things. Yeah. You also like things you're describing. I don't know you that well. I don't. Mm -hmm. I remember we interacted, you know, that time in the class. Yeah. I've seen you online. We connected before this and even now. You're the same in every place. You're the same in every place. And you're such a powerful person. Your presence is powerful. And I am really just, I'm hoping that people see even the power of showing up as self and being clear and giving example. Like you're just, you're a great like model for what it looks like to do things differently as a profesh professional, however people like mm -hmm. to determine yeah. that put that in a box i certainly learn 
a lot of things today. I'm going to enjoy going back and watching this and just taking my own notes. I didn't take notes, but there were certain things that I thought, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do that. Yeah, I don't even think I could summarize this. What y'all are doing at Uproot Talent is so needed, so different. It's like a really fresh way to look at. I don't want to put in a bucket. We were talking about the creating access and opportunities in room for the global majority and the way that y'all do that and do it so beautifully and intentionally. The examples just felt like so tangible. Like you could see, I wasn't in any of the rooms. You could see what it looks like. I could imagine as a black woman, what it would feel like to go through the things that you're describing. And that felt very powerful. So I'm just having so many moments. But anywho, if someone's watching this and they're telling themselves, I need to talk to Stephanie, I need to get in contact with Ebrut Talent, what is the best way to contact y'all? Yeah, there's, I guess there's different ways. The first is you should definitely follow us on social media. Um, you can find out about happenings. We're going to start doing in-person events. We just had our first in-person event last month, which is great, but we're going to be hoping to do a little bit more of that. So Instagram, Upward Talent, Twitter, Upward Talent, LinkedIn. You can search for Upward Talent and you'll find us on LinkedIn as well. You can slide through our DMs. <laughs> you slide through our DMs. That's another way to, to connect with us. If you identify as a person of the global majority, I encourage you to join our free work and platform. You create a talent profile. I mean, even when you look at the talent profile, it's not like your LinkedIn page. We're asking you like, what conditions must be true for you to thrive? We're thinking about like different questions for you to share with your future employer as they're looking for you on the network and sending you opportunities too. But those are, you can join the network at careers.uprootalent.co. Our website is uprootalent.co, C-O, not .com, just company, C-O. And I think that's it. Email, you can email our admin email. They always get forwarded to me. My team member will forward them to me admin uprootalent.co too so we do like resume design and we're going to start doing some coaching and so all of those things are coming up the pipeline i hope i just hope y'all continue to flourish it has been really cool to see how quickly you all are growing you're growing very quickly and yeah i guess so it. huh i'm like i guess we are yes. that's pretty quick yeah. yes yeah you started before you were even ready to start and then you just grew and <laughs> Here you stuff, are in yeah. more stuff. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm totally going to continue to support. And then, yeah, make sure that my network knows about what y'all are doing. Keep my yeah. eyes open. And then should there be a day when I need to use your you process, know. I certainly will. Yes. I'm so serious. I'm not messing with the regular stuff no more. I'm like, no, <laughs> I need no gatekeeping. I need someone stewarding my process. Who cares about me as a candidate? I mean, yeah. oh gosh. Well, thank you. Right. Thank you again for having me and inviting me in this space. I always think it's no coincidence that we met. So I'm glad that we were able to keep in touch and that you invited me to this really cool podcast slash community that you're building and have been building for the last, how, how long have you been building this? Like, over this podcast situation? Podcast, but also I, like your business. Oh, the business. So I started my business randomly with some other stuff going on that I thought it was going to be in 2020. 
But God sat me down last year Mm -hmm. and said, I don't want you doing anything except focusing in this area. So we were really quiet last year and just rebranded as of last month. It's just a completely different way that we're approaching the work. So we had a rebirth. We had a rebirth last month. I love that. So yeah, three years, but it's so different. It's hard to it's hard to say it's been three years. It's so different. Yeah. Um, well, congrats yeah. to you too. Thank you. If you're watching this and you found this of value, please share this with people in your network. Have a dialogue around it. Contact Uproot Talents to have a completely different experience, y'all, and learn. Follow in general, even if you're not in that place of looking to use their services. Just follow them. I'm telling you, you're going to learn in general. Um, if you would like to get in contact with me, you can visit my website at livingunapologetically.com. On there, I have all of my social media handles. You can also email. Uh, you'll have access to my book, Bias Conscious Leadership, a framework for leading with action and accountability. Like, share, subscribe. Yeah, I think that's it. Hope we can connect soon. And until then, bye.